S&P 500 Financials Sector Index is a broad measure of financial services companies in the S&P 500. This week, it stood 19% lower than its January 1 mark, which was also its all-time high. By comparison, the S&P 500 overall was down from its January 1st mark about the same, 20%, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average was 16.5% down this week from January 1st. In fintech-specific stocks, the index Global Fintech Thematic Index this week was about 41% down from its January 1st mark and 56% down from its high mark in September of 2021. Fintech stocks may have been hit twice as hard as financial services stocks more generally across the last few months, but of course, cryptocurrencies have had a very tough ride this year. Bitcoin traded as low as $18,088 and as high as $21,600 this week. At its low point, the world's best known cryptocurrency was down 62% from its January 1st mark of $47,733 and 72% off of its high mark of $64,400, which was November 2021. Dogecoin is down 62% year to date and Ethereum 69%. Retail stocks were steady this week as the S&P Retailers Select Index traded around 6,400 at midweek, down 33% from its January 1 mark of 9,640% off of its high in November. Unemployment claims have risen slightly since hitting a 53-year low in March when initial claims hit 187,000, just 5,000 higher than the low mark way back in 1969. These numbers tend to be compared in absolutes, but the U.S. population in 1969 was 207 million. Now it's just over 330 million, 59% bigger than it was. Demographics and labor force participation rates are a little different now than before, but by any measure, it's one of the tightest labor markets in history. In this edition of Commerce Code, Merchant Codes in Mainstream News. Dan Carell here, and this is Commerce Code, brought to you by DCA, the Digital Commerce Alliance. Thanks for joining us for insights into the evolving world of digital commerce. In the middle of a crypto market route, Bank of England Deputy Governor John Cunliffe said this week that the survivors could be leaders in the future. In his remarks, he noted that many companies have failed, quote, but the technology didn't go away. As reported by Payments.com and the Financial Times this week, Shopify, has announced that it will enter the B2B market, a strategic move that takes place against the backdrop of a 75% drop in its share price in recent months. The firm also announced a partnership with Twitter through which merchants can display items and show offers on their Twitter profiles. As reported by Bloomberg, China's Central Commission this week approved the promotion of the, quote, healthy development of fintech and backed the enhancement of payment platform regulations. State broadcaster China Central Television reported that companies, quote, would be encouraged to return to their roots while the authorities will improve regulation. This development is the next significant political move in the wake of Ant's canceled IPO in 2020, a move widely seen as an effort by China's political leaders to control the power of major firms in the private sector, and particularly at the intersection of tech and finance. Today on the show, we're talking about merchant codes, which this week broke through into the mainstream media. I walked into our living room on Monday morning and morning television was on. 
between local and national weather and various human interest segments was quite unexpectedly a deep dive into merchant category codes. You don't expect the best looking people on television carefully dressed for a national audience to be talking about something this far in the weeds in our world, particularly when the story really does end up being about whether or not a certain four digit code should exist. The reason this was happening had to do with guns. I'll explain that in a minute. Some Commerce Code listeners will be intimately familiar with merchant codes, but some probably won't. Here's what Investopedia has to say about what MCC codes are and are for. Merchant category codes are four-digit numbers that a credit card issuer uses to categorize the transactions consumers complete using a particular card. Payment brands use merchant category codes to classify merchants and businesses by the type of goods or services provided in order to track and restrict transactions. MCCs can be used for tax reporting, interchange promotion, and gathering information about cardholder purchasing behavior. Often, MCCs are recognized by all credit card issuers. However, not all codes are recognized by all. Issuers frequently add, eliminate, or change the codes with regularly scheduled enhancements. This is me talking now. The ISO issues this list and has a process for revising it. ISO, the International Standards Organization, is in Switzerland. As Investopedia notes, though, the master list is used a little differently by different issuers, and if you look for a list online, you can either buy the official version from ISO for 132 Swiss francs, or you'll find versions available from the likes of Citibank or Chase that presumably reflect the list of codes as used by them. Anyway, here's why CBS Mornings was talking about something so much less salacious than celebrity divorces and so much less happy than Doug the Pug. It's about guns, as I said. Now, as fate would have it, it's been a big week for gun news in the U.S., and I'm not the guy, and Commerce Code is certainly not the place, to dissect the legal news coming out of the Supreme Court or the Senate about gun policy. But because guns are so much in the news, and because CBS did a reasonable attempt at connecting gun sales to something in the Commerce Code wheelhouse, I thought we should talk about it in this episode. Here's the CBS story in a nutshell, and if this is interesting to you, I'd encourage you to just Google CBS Merchant Code Gun Sales, and it'll take you right there. The title of the story was, This Bank Wants to Track Suspect Credit Card Sales of Guns and Ammo, Why Can't It? And the subtitle is, How Financial Industry Stands in the Way of Suspect Gun Sales. That kind of tells you what this is all about. Of course, it's investigative journalism for television on a national audience, so there's some sensationalizing and a bit of oversimplification going on here, and that's not to pass judgment either way on the merits of the story. But you can tell what it's basically about. Amalgamated Bank's CEO is quite a good advocate for her cause. She was interviewed at some length by the standards of morning television, and basically she says that if there was a merchant code for firearms dealers, it would make it a lot easier to identify high-volume gun or ammunition sales, and that can help prevent the kinds of tragedies that seem to happen more and more. So, Amalgamated followed the process to apply to the International Standards Organization to amend its list of MCC codes, that's ISO 18245 if you're keeping track, and the application was rejected. The amendment, of course, that they were looking for was to add an MCC code for firearms dealers, which there currently is not. The main reason mentioned was that the MCC code would identify retailers that were mainly firearms sellers, but it wouldn't capture bigger retailers like, say, Cabela's or even Walmart that sell firearms and ammunition as well. Which makes you want to look at the list more closely, or at least it made me want to look at the MCC list closely, though you might not be as nerdy. 
that's what I'm here for, folks. The MCC list is one of those things that we deal with regularly in business but haven't necessarily sat down with for a long time, or maybe ever. The list of MCC codes, and here I'm working off of a version provided by Citibank, because to be honest, I didn't want to pay the 132 Swiss francs, is a pretty random collection of retailer classifications. The CBS story came back a few times to the idea, for example, that shoeshine parlors have their own merchant code, but firearms dealers do not. It seems like a compelling point. It may also make you wonder, what does this list look like? Because have I ever been to a shoeshine parlor? And does anyone use a credit card at such a place? I've had my shoes shined a fair bit, and it's one of the last things I actually carry cash around for, that and the ice cream truck. You should never be caught near an ice cream truck with no cash. But the actual merchant code for shoe shines reads like this. Hat cleaning shops, shoe repair shops, shoe shine parlors. Those three are all part of MCC 7251. That's pretty representative of what you tend to see when you get into the MCC list. Some of the stuff is perfectly contemporary and intuitive, like hardware stores or duty-free stores. And it defines a bucket of transactions that all have something coherent in common. But others are a little arcane, or you have to think about it. Like wholesale club gas, which is distinct from wholesale club. But of course, what you can buy at a wholesale club is awfully broad, and it all gets lumped into a single MCC, except if you go out and buy gas. Some of it is quaint, like wig and toupee shops. I was reminded that motorhomes and mobile homes are not the same thing because they each have their own MCC. I won't pass judgment here on the merits of whether firearms dealers should have an MCC. Clearly the amalgamated bank CEO thinks they should, and she does a very nice job of advocating for that case. But to fully assess the issue, you'd need to know all the reasons why the ISO committee members declined to add that code, and those reasons aren't laid out very fully in the CBS story or any other source I could find. But I will say that the bigger issue of financial data and what it's used for will only get bigger. It's not just about gun sales, as important as those are. It's about a bunch of other stuff you can probably expect me not to mention a whole lot more on Commerce Code. Online gambling, pornography, cannabis sales, terrorist financing, and potentially anything else that becomes sufficiently controversial. These present real public policy challenges because controlling the payment stream for something can be an incredibly effective way to influence how it's sold and how much is ever sold. This is particularly true as cash wanes as a medium of exchange. The Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco reported last year that from 2019 to 2020, the percentage of transactions in cash dropped from 26% to 19%, and average reported cash in pocket went up from $20 to $74 basically because during COVID, consumers just weren't using the stuff. And yes, that's about COVID, but I think we all expect some of those behaviors to stick. I was at a policy conference one morning later this week. It was about cryptocurrency, and one of the areas of discussion was national security. I doubt many of us naturally think about those two things in the same place. But since 9-11, governments and financial institutions worldwide have put huge resources into disrupting terrorists' access to capital and monitoring their financial flows. The point about crypto, of course, is that maybe it's useful to terrorist groups or, of course, hostile states like Russia or North Korea for storing or transmitting value. We discussed the fact that blockchain isn't anonymous, it's pseudonymous, and that's an important difference. And we discussed the idea that a central bank digital currency could yield a currency environment where the ability of governments and other players to monitor and potentially even directly control transactions could become radically more precise than it is now. And the lack of precision 
is pretty well illustrated by the whole MCC story. Hat repair, shoe shines, and all of that. On the corporate side of my career, I have to say that fundamental questions of value balancing, liberty versus safety, privacy versus law enforcement, don't come up all that much. But both the MCC discussion on CBS Mornings this week and the cryptocurrency conference panel hit some essential points. As one panelist pointed out, governments have had mixed success reducing cigarette smoking, for example, through advertising and public advocacy. But if a central bank digital currency were the only accepted medium of exchange in an economy, which is quite believable, for example, in China, it's pretty easy to imagine that the government might just want to switch off the ability to use its currency to buy cigarettes, or that the government would switch off the ability for miners to use the currency to buy cigarettes, or alcohol, or maybe junk food, or possibly video games. That's speculative, of course, but you get the point. Payments, product categories, the whole industry we're in, they're all becoming more central to some very controversial questions in the center of the public square today. To find out more about the latest trends in digital commerce and digital advertising, check out our website, www.digcomall.org. For the Digital Commerce Alliance, take care of yourself and take care of each other. God bless you. This is Dan Carell, signing off.